So rejection is an unfortunate part of life. Everyone and their mothers will encounter rejection many times throughout their life, not on a daily basis at some point. Uh, it's a matter of how you respond, not necessarily how many rejections you get. Welcome to Figuring It Out. I'm Ashley Garrison. I'm 21. I'm a senior at Columbia, and I'm figuring things out. This podcast is for anyone who, like me, is just trying to get their lives together, whether that means choosing a college major or just navigating their identity. In each episode, I'll be talking with young people about how they're figuring out college, friendships, work, and everything in between. I'm excited to learn from all of these conversations, and I hope you'll join me so we can figure things out together. Now, here's today's episode. My name is Jamie Finnick. I am the founder and president of the Women's Network. The Women's Network is a national networking organization. Our whole mission is to connect collegiate and recently graduated women to each other, to leaders across many industries, and to celebrate ambition. You just heard from Jamie, who is my guest on the pod today, and you will hear more from her shortly. I learned about the Women's Network through my producer, Amy, who actually wrote an article about it a few years ago. I also learned that Jamie launched her organization while she was still in college, which is very impressive to me. She wanted to create a space on campus at Syracuse where young women could empower and rely on each other as they launch their careers. Needless to say, I was very inspired by the origin story of the Women's Network, and I knew I wanted to get Jamie on the pod. Part of the reason why is because the women in my life have been incredibly helpful to me throughout college as I figured out internships, grad school applications, and just life, honestly. Over the past few years, I've also just become more aware of all the inequities that women face on a daily basis in the workplace. For women of color, issues like the wage gap are often even more severe and compounded with racism. In today's episode, Jamie and I are chatting about entrepreneurship, using rejection as redirection, and everything in between. And lastly, I just wanted to give a disclaimer and say that the audio in this episode is a bit fuzzy, so my apologies, but I promise it's still a good listen. Here's my conversation with Jamie. I hope you enjoy it. So for people that don't know, Jamie was original she was a finance major at Syracuse and that is within the the school of business. It's called the Whitman School of Business, I believe. And from what I understand, finance is still a very male dominated dominated industry but improving, I think. Um but when you first started out as, you know, a finance major or declared that major did you have any reservations going into it um, about, you know, what it would be like being a woman in a male-dominated industry? I know that that eventually like sparked the women's network. So I was just curious about like when you first started, what were your thoughts? Yes. So I background about me. I was born and raised in the Washington D.C. metro area. I went off to Syracuse University. I came into the business school undeclared. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to study. I was leaning towards marketing and entrepreneurship. I ended up double majoring in marketing and finance. Um, and the backstory with the Women's Network is centered around a 
event, an event I attended in the business school, um, in which an executive from a bank was invited to speak about her career and not a single question was asked related to gender. And I wanted to know things like, what was it like as a woman to successfully ascend in this male dominated field of finance? Can you offer advice, not just to people, but women specifically in the room, talk to us about building confidence, negotiating your salary, combating imposter syndrome. And keep in mind, this was pre Me Too movement. None of those questions were asked. I left the event feeling very uninspired and what I realized was that the topic of gender in the workplace is incredibly taboo, uncomfortable, even awkward for a lot of people to discuss. And there was a need for this. I could have left that event feeling inspired, feeling like I knew a little bit more about the industry. Uh, separately, why I decided to study finance is because I have this incredible professor um, Dr. Fatma Sonmes Leopold, who walked into an introductory finance course wearing like a leather skirt, fur coat, high heels. I think they were like six inch heels. And she dominated the classroom. She captivated every student's attention. She made the material interesting. And I really enjoyed going to all of her classes. She's easily one of my favorite professors and reflecting on my time in college and also a mentor of mine. And she really is yet another manifestation that you can't be who, who you can't see. And I took her class and I saw someone who was covering and teaching material who looked like me. So finance is notorious for attracting really competitive students on campus. And what I found in the major is that often women felt compelled really only to compete with the other women in the major. And if this is how we're acting at this stage in life, we're never going to change the numbers at the top. So there really was a need for a space on campus that did not yet exist for high achieving, ambitious women to congregate under one roof in a non-competitive environment and support and uplift each other. Yeah, I think that the non-competitive aspect is really key because, I mean, as you mentioned, finance is very competitive, but I, I also feel like just college in general, especially those first two years, everyone's often competing for the same internships. Everyone's trying to, you know, become leaders of, you know, similar clubs or whatever. So that's something that really, in my opinion, like distinguishes the women's network in that it's very uplifting and you all are really providing, you know, tips and resources and a lot of, a lot of things that I think people, they need help with, but they don't necessarily know how to express, you know, like writing a cover letter or something like no one wants to necessarily admit like, oh, I'm struggling with how to do this because it's supposed to be, you know, a very basic thing or whatever. But I mean, these things are difficult. So I think that it's important that you all kind of normalize helping each other really and creating a very communal space. So many people are fighting over and applying to the same internships, in part, in my opinion, because when you major or study a particular discipline or field of interest, in my opinion, college tries to mold you into interpreting the degree to the most traditional uh, way that most people who have studied that 
have ended up pursuing careers. And so what I mean by that, for example, is if you study finance, the main career opportunities and discussions that are centered around how you can interpret that major is through one of a few ways, investment banking, sales and trading, structured finance, asset management, wealth management. Uh, and there are a plethora of ways you can interpret any degree. You can study biology and go into investment banking. You can study finance and go into public policy. You can study women and gender studies and go into education. I mean, there are just so many different crossovers and there's a lot of value in being in an environment that doesn't silo off or segregate uh, students on campus on the basis of their career aspirations and interests. So going back to founding the organization, uh, I got back to my sophomore year. Yes, the story goes. I knocked on over a thousand freshman dorms. I was expecting 20 people to attend our first meeting. 180 people came out. It was insane. And um, there was a genuine need for this on campus. I did not know what I was doing when I wanted to start something on campus. I just knew that there was a need, that there were people willing to attend the events. And I wanted to build something out that met the needs of people who couldn't find another space on campus. I feel very encouraged that this is a conversation that is being had more frequently than it was when the Women's Network was founded. And it is a topic that still can make people very uncomfortable, but it's really important dialogue that should be had because it's important to understand what are the barriers, the biases, the challenges that are disproportionately going to affect us as women. And when you factor in other intersectionalities into the conversation, background, race, um, you know, disability, um, it is um, even more acute. So um, it's important to be had. I wouldn't say I was nervous by addressing this. I felt that it was also important to communicate to people in a variety of ways why this is important dialogue to be had and know that addressing these topics of conversation at this stage in life will help set everyone up for success. So I, I'm very encouraged by um, the willingness by so many people to educate themselves and to also seek out spaces that uh, support them and acknowledge that the barriers they are and will encounter uh, exist and that they can help better prepare themselves if they find and invest in a support system. I think a lot of women, you know, maybe their first jobs that they enter, sometimes there aren't a lot of other women there with them, right? And so it's, it's good to have a place to go for support and a place where you can kind of hash out some of, you know, what's going on in your workspace with, with other women that are maybe facing some of the same challenges, especially you mentioned, um, you know, asking for a raise. That's such a difficult conversation. I'm imagining I've never actually had that conversation because <laughs> I'm only 21, but 
yeah, I think like those are things that you don't necessarily learn in the classroom, but are very important as soon as you leave the classroom. So yeah, I think that's very important. I guess something I also wanted to know is, you know, your first meeting drew over a hundred people and it's since grown to, to include thousands and thousands of members. Um, But I'm assuming that, you know, even from the beginning, it must've felt very big to you. I would have been overwhelmed by 50 people. So just knowing that, you know, a lot of people are counting on you or are looking to you really like, was that like a lot of pressure for you at the time? And, and even now, I guess, what is that? Like, have you, have you ever found yourself, I guess, feeling like, oh, am I like up to this challenge or this is a lot of pressure? When more than 20 people came through the door at the first meeting, I was shocked. <laughs> I was genuinely shocked and surprised. And it was one of the highlights of my college experience, hands down. We went from one school to five schools. I thought five schools was an enormous expansion. I was like, there's no way we can pull this off. And if we do, it's like huge news. And then we did. And a couple months later, we announced we're launching at 16 schools. And I was like, oh, gosh, wow. (laughs) We're never going to be able to do this. But we can at least try. And that happened last summer. Um, And... We pulled it off. And then this past winter in 2020, we were we announced we were launching at 20 additional schools. And so it brought our total to 42. And that to me was was <laughs> like game changing. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's important to set goals that are really lofty. You're not always going to hit them. I set goals all the time that I don't meet. And it's important, in my opinion, to set goals that you feel are out of reach. I think that pushes people far more than ones that don't really take you outside your comfort zone. I, and in next month, we're making an even bigger announcement that we're launching at more schools. So as the goals increase your tendency to uh, step outside your comfort zone, um, increases because you understand that what is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that you, you learn from, I wouldn't necessarily call that failure, but I would, I would probably refer to it as a trial and error session. Like you, you try different things, saw what stuck and you set your goals really high so that if you didn't meet them, you know, I'm the believer if you didn't meet them, like try again or figure out, what was not working and pivot um, versus setting the bar pretty low and knowing that you can meet the target. I wanted to pivot and talk about dealing with rejection because that's something I've been talking about on the podcast or, or on our social media for the last few weeks, actually. I, I am a senior or I just graduated a couple of weeks ago. I still identify as a senior though. Um, But I face a series of rejections throughout this spring semester. Everyone pretty much knows that I was applying to business school and everything. And it was very, I think, humbling and, and rattling a little bit to hear no and to maybe also realize, you know, maybe I just didn't do it right the first time. Like I thought I was like so stellar. And then like you go like read your application a few weeks later and you, you know, you recognize some of your own mistakes. 
Um, but all of that, I think, is difficult. And it's, you know, internship app season and people are looking for jobs for the first time. So I think that, you know, the feeling of coping with rejection and not knowing how is something that a lot of young people are experiencing right now. I also know that, you know, rejections don't necessarily stop when you, you know, leave academia and in a lot of ways they actually increase. So for you, how have you learned to, I guess, accept rejection, but, but not, you know, accept it and, you know, give up, accept it and, you know, use it, use it as a tool of growth, really? Such a good question. So rejection is an unfortunate part of life. Everyone and their mothers will encounter rejection many times throughout their life, if not on a daily basis at some point. Uh, it's a matter of how you respond, not necessarily how many rejections you get. I have been rejected in so many different capacities throughout my whole life. I I reach out to many people and hear back with a lot of no's. And it's the yeses that I pounce on and it's the no's that I don't I don't view as um, a no with three strikes. I view it as a time that you can reflect and then come back to later on. What I would say about coping with rejection is I think it's the the universe or something telling you that uh, you need to go in a different direction and reevaluate. And so when it comes to something like business school, for example, one of my best friends applied and got rejected from all of them. And I, we had a lot of conversations about that. And what I was telling her is that it was just a way of saying that this wasn't the year for you to go and that you'll gain more work experience and then reapply and that the rejection itself does not define you. In fact, it's how you respond that it can, you can be defined by where she, I told her to keep her head held high and to do a really great job uh, working and to prove herself and to hustle and you'll reapply and I'm sure you'll get back in or get in. Um, and the same thing is something I would tell you or my sisters or friends that um, it's, it is a part of life. It's, uh, it sucks not to sugarcoat it. Um, but I experience that very frequently and I would say that it's it's a matter of your attitude as well, where it can really bog people down and it's okay to take some time to be upset, but you know, that was the outcome. Well, I'm referring to business school now, and you still have your whole life ahead of you to reapply and to get in. And I have no doubt in speaking to you, you will get in. And you'll get into a school that you might not have considered before and applied to a second time around. Same thing goes for, I mean, recent grads who are applying to medical school. It's competitive to get in. And um, I know quite a few people who applied and didn't get into any of the schools. And they applied to a lot. And so um, understanding uh, next time around, how you can do things differently, not letting that bog you down. And also life 
is really short. Like if we've learned anything this past year, it's, I mean, over a year has gone by and it's been really difficult for so many people. And there have been lots of rejections um, with people applying to different jobs because of whatever circumstance they found themselves in um, and that things will come around. So what I would say to someone like you is focus on your assets, your strengths. You are extremely bright. You have, I'm sure, the stats. You studied really hard on your GMAT entrance uh, exam. You, I'm sure, have the recs. And to do things that differentiate yourself from others, to reapply or circle back and not let the rejection define you. So working on a podcast is a great differentiator from your peers who are going to be applying to similar schools, I'm sure. Thank you. Yeah, something my professor also told me, hopefully this will be helpful to someone out there, is that the the mental and emotional energy that you waste when you think like, I could have done this, I should have done this, like what if, you know, the hypothetical, like theorizing what could have happened, like it's it's so much wasted wasted energy. And she always tells me that if you just put that energy into moving forward, you will go so much farther, so much faster. So I guess like that's a good piece of advice as well. Um, Along those same lines, I wanted to just talk about the pressure of having things figured out. I think that the pandemic has kind of, I think it put pressure on a lot of seniors to really feel like they had something solidified, whether that meant, you know, I I knew a lot of people that had no interest in grad school. And then they felt this intense pressure to go to grad school because they were, you know, they were scared of the, the job prospects out there, which is a very reasonable fear, I think. And I think like, even for me around March or so, I started seeing all of these tweets from people. Like, I'm so excited to announce that I just got this, like, um, congratulations to my friends so-and-so on landing this. And it was overwhelming a bit for me. I talked about this in a previous episode, I think, because you start to feel like, oh no, like I don't have anything solidified. Um, should I have done this as well? Even if, you know, what so-and-so did has no real like connection to anything that you truly want. I think that it just comes down to the pressure of like, you have to have something, some sense of security. And I think for young people, especially, I've noticed that we're just honestly so ambitious, this generation. And I also see sometimes, um, even within myself, you kind of want things immediately. Um, and you, you want the success immediately. It's like, by the time I'm 25, like I've got to have this, or I've got to make, you know, 30 under 30, whatever. Um, but anyway, I just feel like all of that really intensified this past year. I was wondering if that was something that you ever experienced or how, I guess you overcame the pressure to feel like, you know, I have to have a specific plan. Like I have to follow through with this plan and and I guess like maybe abandon that and learn to be more open to change. So yes, our generation is uh, certainly a believer in instant gratification where you view your career as a sprint, not a marathon. And in my opinion, it's the complete opposite. You have your whole life to pivot, figure out what you want to do. Our generation is uh, not holding jobs the way our parents and grandparents' generations did, where they would work at one company for the majority of their career. 
we are hopping around, trying new industries, pivoting in our careers, and there's a lot of pressure, you're right, in graduating, especially from college, figuring out, feeling like you have to have it all figured out at a really young age, and that's just not true. I definitely got into college thinking, especially studying finance, I have to have it all figured out at a really young age. They recruit for a lot of uh, front office finance jobs your sophomore year of college. No one knows what they want to do their sophomore year of college. You're 18, 19 years old. So what I tell people is, and I love this quote, is that comparison is the thief of joy. It's really easy to compare your beginnings to others' middles or your weaknesses to others' strengths. It's unhealthy. It's toxic. It's unrealistic. I think it's very tempting to do so, especially given our culture of social media. There are so many different apps you can plug into and see someone doing a really cool thing. And what I would tell people is to focus on their strengths, their assets. What do they bring to the table? What makes them tick? What interests them? Everyone has unique hobbies or interests, passions, strengths. It's very easy for me to compare myself to friends of mine who are doing different things and comparing their strengths to a weakness of mine. And the reality is we're doing different things for a completely different paths. And on paper, it would make no sense to compare the two because they're so vastly different in scope. On social media, obviously, the lines there are blurred. So I would say try to limit the comparisons. Everyone does it at some point or another. I wouldn't say stop comparing. I would say limit the comparisons. And what helps is if you get to a really granular level. So if you compare, I mean, everything, like what classes did they have to take to get to this point, to get to that point? I would not want to take or subject myself to organic chemistry. So when I see people posting about things related to science, if you get to like a really granular level, think about what I have wanted to do that. If the answer is no, then that's probably not a strength of yours. You're not going to be good at something if you don't like it. So limit the comparisons. Try to limit the pressure. You, you're career is a marathon. You're going to pivot so many different times. On average, you're going to work at at least six to seven different companies throughout your whole career. That can be interpreted into many different industries. So the pressure is real. It's toxic. It's not going anywhere. And I encourage everyone listening to this podcast and in general in life, to really focus on what are your own personal short and long-term goals. You might not know all of them, but if you set a few for the short term and the long term, you can take small steps that can inch closer towards achieving them. And once you do, you're not going to be comparing yourself as often, but it's very common practice to do so at this age because most people are starting on a similar uh, basis of job titles, depending on which industry you enter into. 
Um, and so limit the comparisons. I also want to just talk about your podcast because first of all, I love the name redefining ambition. Like it's, it really like sticks with me. I I really like it. Um, it's, it's unique though. And for me, like I see the podcast as an extension of all of the work that the women's network does and also a way to kind of, you know, distribute very valuable information. Like I wouldn't have access to hearing from, you know, any of your guests really, unless they go on, you know, other podcasts or whatever, like I wouldn't, you know, know their stories or, or trajectories or anything like that. So I really appreciate that you're making that information available to you, you know, everyone really for you, like what made you decide to do the podcast? A podcast is a pretty, um, it's a, it's a pretty like intense undertaking, um, especially because you release episodes very regularly. So yeah, that's my first question. And then the second part of the question is what do you look for in a guest? Oh, okay. So I have a really great team of people I work with. Our team is like 13 people. We have a production team. We have a research and development team. We have a marketing team. And we all work together to produce content that I am personally inspired by. Um, the Our tagline for the Women's Arc is called, is Redefining Ambition. So, um, I mean, it's all about really understanding and being proud of reaching the pinnacles of whatever your aspirations are in any capacity, whether that be personal, professional. I have shared this many times throughout the network that years ago, especially in college, I was never proud to be ambitious. I never wanted to draw attention to the fact that I am an ambitious woman. And in part, um, the term ambition has often and continues to be viewed as this dirty negative word has this demeaning condescending undertone. It's not always viewed as a positive. And often when women are referred to as ambitious, it's not necessarily characterized in this gleaming way. I've never heard a man be described as ambitious because often it would go against our own gender entrenched stereotypes. um, If he was not ambitious And so it's really important that we are celebratory of women having ambition and actualizing that in whatever capacity possible. So uh, I agree with you. I love the title as well. Um, And so the content we produce uh, features and highlights these powerful stories of women who have accomplished incredible things throughout their careers in so many different industries. Um, And so, oh my gosh, one of my personal favorites would have to be, there are a lot of them, um, Alexia Korberg, who is this attorney at a firm called Paul Weiss based in New York City. And um, she spoke about what it's like to be a gender non-conforming attorney uh, and also has worked on really well-known cases. She worked on the landmark Supreme Court case that ultimately uh, legalized same-sex marriage. And hearing her speak to the power of that story was so deeply inspiring. She's She may partner under the age of 40, 
has accomplished a lot. And she made partner in an industry where around 20 to 22% of women uh, end up making partner. And so the gender equity gap in the industry is enormous. More women than men are graduating from law school, and yet roughly 22% of those who are equity owners of their firms or may partner are women, which is outrageous. Uh, and, you know, she spoke to that. She spoke on a lot of topics um, that were really powerful. So hearing stories like that, that you wouldn't necessarily hear in the news, but inspiring people doing great things and paving the way for people like us to come into the industry and look at those occupying positions of power and seeing people who look like us is really inspiring. So it's been such a fun project to work on. I love the people we both bring on the podcast, but also the people I get to work with behind the scenes. And I mean, to make, you know, this, to make a podcast successful requires a lot of moving parts. And so talk about delegating weaknesses. I have no production background. So our executive producer, Max Underdog, does an incredible job editing the material um, and, um, <laughs> doing a lot of behind the scenes work that I do not have the skill set to do. So it's a team effort. It's not an I project. It's a we endeavor. And I guess one of my last questions is what's been the hardest part about all of this, whether it's specific to the podcast and growing the podcast or just growing the women's network or running it or anything like that. I'm always asked that question and prioritizing period is extremely difficult because there are constantly fires you're having to put out. Um, there are daily challenges and there are lots of really exciting visions and projects that you would want to work on, but have other things to work on. So it's a matter of prioritization. So I would say that understanding what the greatest priorities are, what is the most pressing work that needs to get done, how can you also delegate is an issue and a challenge that I'm working on daily. The work is so exciting. It's very meaningful and impactful. And I feel privileged to even be able to work with the people I do and lead this community that inspires me and I know inspires each other. And I'm excited that we're continuing to expand the presence of the network. And the vision of this network is to create something that's so powerful, so formidable in scope, you won't feel obligated to reach outside the network. We know that networking matters. Um, but what I mean by networking is that Building meaningful, authentic relationships and connections with people, quality over quantity is important. And it's not just a matter of what you know, it's a matter of who you know. And if you're able to be a part of a network that's helping to level the playing field and connect you to industry leaders and folks entering an industry that will, who, who might end up being your future colleagues, 
will help set you up for success in the long term. Um, I'm very focused on um, continuing to further our mission and um, yeah, excited to see where it goes. Yeah. And I guess one last thing I wanted to say is that networking, I was always so intimidated by that word because when I would hear the word networking, I would think of, you know, having to be at a huge convention and, or having to, you know, go sit at a table with a bunch of people that I don't know and and like convince them that like, like, I don't know that they can do something for me. Like, I don't know. I also feel like there can also be this like odd dynamic with like that type of networking because you, in a sense, you do know that everyone is looking I guess for something for themselves, I think that the, the genuine networking that your organization fosters is so much more valuable. And as you mentioned, like you're also connecting with people that are in similar positions in their careers. And that type of lateral networking is equally as valuable. Like when I'm having, you know, doubts or whatever, the people I often reach out to are people that are my age first. Of course, like I also depend on my mentors, but they, my peers, they are so helpful to me because they're, you know, they're doing a lot of the same stuff that I'm doing. They're like trying to apply for internships. They're navigating a lot of issues for the first time. So yeah, I just wanted to add that for anyone out there that's that's listening. Um, you should definitely join and, and check out the Women's Network. Um, thank you so much, Jamie, for coming on my podcast and sharing like your story, sharing so much information with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. And I want to add that your peer-to-peer network is one of the most undervalued, underestimated networks. It's one of the most important you can have. I agree with you. Some of the first people I go to other than my family are my peers for advice because they can empathize and understand the position I'm in and the boat I'm in. Uh, And it's, it's a different relationship than those who have very fancy titles and positions and they serve different purposes. Um, And so you don't, when we think of the term networking, it doesn't just mean building connections and relationships with people who are at the height of their careers. It also means people who are similarly aged and can offer value in different ways. So I agree with everything and I want to congratulate you on and your team on um, building this amazing podcast that I fully support. So congratulations and thanks again for having me. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you found my conversation with Jamie to be helpful and hopefully inspiring as well. I know that the idea of networking can be intimidating and perhaps even anxiety inducing, but it really is so important. And it doesn't have to be scary. Just take it one phone call or informational interview at a time. You can find the Women's Network on Instagram at thewomens.network. They actually just announced that they're launching at 100 additional schools. So yours is probably on the list now. And you can follow us at thefiguringitoutpod on Instagram. If you click the link in our bio, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out whenever we release a full-length episode like this one. Thank you again for listening along as I try to figure things out. I'll talk to you soon.